Welcome to We're Not Finished, a podcast presented by the studios of Key West. I'm Gwen Filosa. I'm a reporter at the Miami Herald. The studios is a leading art institution in South Florida. It's located downtown at 533 Eaton Street. For a list of events and more programming like this, go to tskw.org. All right, I have with me Krista Hunt, director producer of Key West Burlesque. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Gwen. Good to see you. So much going on with Key West Burlesque. Tell us what we got a new season, right? Yeah, we have a new season coming up. Our season actually opens this year with Women's Fest, the girly, burly burlesque show, which you are co-hosting with me. I am. Thank you for having me. I've never uh, co-hosted or hosted a burlesque and I'm excited and I uh, will follow your lead. But um, <laughs> you've been doing burlesque shows, producing them, uh, performing in them for, for quite a while. You're like the expert for me. Yes. <laughs> so this is our, we're going into our 17th season of Key West Burlesque. So this November uh, will be our 17th anniversary year. Uh, But I have been doing, personally been doing burlesque since 1997. I was involved with some of the first neo burlesque shows in New York City. And then when I moved to Key West, uh, my partner who I moved down here with and I started Key West Burlesque together. Congratulations. Uh, Nothing's easy in Key West to stay afloat. (laughs) I mean, nothing... but in entertainment uh, world, I mean that's that's amazing, and um, I, I've seen I've seen your work. These are uh, shows that are exciting and creative and original, and and I'm wondering um, how you go about planning the the show, the numbers, the performances, the costumes. How how does that how does that come together? Honestly, it's a ton of work. Uh, So we do, with Key West Burlesque, uh, we're a theatrical burlesque show, meaning that we don't focus on smaller shows like in-bar shows. We generally do big theater shows. In fact, the Girly Burly Burlesque show on September 8th is going to be one of our smaller, more intimate shows because it's in the listening room at the Key West Theater. But really, our focus is creating big theatrical productions that incorporate classic and neo-burlesque into them. So generally, what I do is I try to lay out four big productions per season. We always... um, We always do a Fantasy Fest show, uh, which is now always a parody. We've done uh, Taking It Off to See the Wizard, a Wizard of Oz parody, Peter Pan in Naughty Land, which of course is a Peter Pan parody. Uh, We have done The White Rabbit's Wonderland. Um, Last year, we did probably one of everybody's favorites right now was Harriet Potter and the Enchanted Tassel. It's a really fun show for (laughs) Yes, <laughs> it's, like nice. a, it's a no-brainer. And then this year, uh, October 25th through 28th, we are doing the She-Vengers Strip Infinity Wars, which is an Avengers parody of Infinity nice. War. So we're really excited about that. Nice. So and- for years, we've always done a holiday show, uh, which people love. Our ho- We're going on our 16th season of a holiday show, Spectacular. Uh, we've always done different themes for that. Last year, we did Sugar Rum Cherry, 
which is a parody of a nutcracker that I've produced for several years. And then this year we are doing um, the 12 Days of Stripmas, which is basically a parody of the 12 Days song. And then Oh My Gods and Goddesses will be our February show, which is February 10th and 11th. And then we are doing a History of Burlesque show on April 8th. So really exciting season, but I like to mix in, it's a lot, <laughs> but I like to mix in, you know, some live band music shows. We did uh, Honky Tonk Heartbreak last year, which was a live band music show. And this year, the History of Burlesque will be a live band music show. What, what I, what I um, appreciate or I notice is, and maybe I'm wrong, a lot of burlesque shows are um, kind of nostalgic, which totally makes sense or, or, you know, a nod to the history, the long history, but you, you've seen right. your company really kind of takes on, you know, Harry Potter and, and uh, modern themes. And I, I think it just, um, that's, that's different for, for me, what I've seen. Yeah, it's really fun to do. I mean, I think internationally, there's this whole neo and nerd burlesque genre that goes on, uh, which is super fun. And that's a lot of people taking on those more modern things. But we do it in a way that's a little bit more theatrical. A lot of those nerdlesque and neo burlesque shows take place in bars. You know, they're a little, you know, like down, more down and dirty fun, whereas we're doing big theatrical productions with our shows like that. And and they are they are theatrical and fun and and um the the ones I've seen um people are so uh the, the ensemble really they they're they're playing off each other connecting with each other. And I'm wondering what when when people think of burlesque when I first went to see burlesque in New Orleans this was quite a while ago. You know, I remember thinking, okay, what what am I getting into and it was uh, <laughs> It, it was just so much fun. I remember at Jazz Fest, a woman, a performer was in a giant bathtub with a rubber ducky singing something. And it was just fun. It wasn't as, um, I don't know. I was just like, I, I guess it's all uh, the level of sexy is is, is you know, subjective and, and different. But um, it, is burlesque strip teasing? Is it, it's not nudity. It's not all about sex, right? I mean. So we, we definitely have that element. I like to say, you know, our, our tagline for QS burlesque is uh, 17 years of strip tease in the Florida Keys. But this isn't the type of strip tease that you're thinking of when you think of teasers, which they're great, or Red Garter, which they're great also. But this is the, the classic art form, you know, the, the rehearsed um, costume-driven, theme-driven striptease that you think of when you think of, you know, the 1920s to 1950s. Big feather fans, you know, huge boas, tassels. We only go down to uh, pasties and G-strings generally. Uh, there are shows throughout the country and across the world that burlesque shows that do go fully nude but you're looking at you know a more artistic side of striptease that's really our focus but we also I mean you know our shows 
also uh, pay tribute to vaudeville. You know, we have comedians like you know, such as yourself and, of course, Steve Crane or magicians like uh, Nick LaCapo, who comes down at least once a year to host shows with me, um, you know, who really add more to to the show. So it's not just straight striptease. We also work with a lot of aerial and acrobatic performers. Mm. And of course, a lot of uh, professionally trained dancers. I have a choreographer, a new choreographer I'm working with this year, um, who is a choreographer and dancer for Carnival and Royal cruise lines uh for a number of years so you know it's definitely not just focused on like woo, take off your clothes <laughs> like, i mean it's part of it and, and but I, that's not I, all of it and i know we agree i mean dancers strippers I, that is a that is they work hard that is we're never sure. easy. I'm all about, I will not knock the hustle at all. Right. And, uh, <laughs> I love and, those boys and girls. <laughs> I will not knock the hustle. I think it's, uh, you know, I, and, um, and, and burlesque is, um, you know, they're very similar, but, but like you said, it's theatrical. It's, it's, it's a little bit, but, but it does, is burlesque, was that the first type of stripping or am I? I mean, it's definitely that? not, you would say that, the original burlesque, I mean, you would incorporate that into like sex work for sure. And I mean, there is definitely, you know, the first, <laughs> the, the first career was, you know, beyond striptease. Yes, the first profession. <laughs> but, <of course. laughs> but yeah, uh, burlesque really is looked at as, you know, the first form of, of stripping. Um, and it started in the 1920s. Um, uh, when a British troupe, uh, Lydia and the Blonde Bombshells, brought a show over from London uh, to the U.S. And basically at that time, all they did was take naked girls and set them on the stage at old vaudevillian theaters. They couldn't move. The, the laws were very restrictive where the girls couldn't have movement. So basically they were sitting there naked. Uh, and of course, it was very taboo, and you know, it was a but a huge hit, obviously. Um, but as uh, motion pictures started to take off, and the vaudevillian stages started to die because people were going to movies instead of seeing live productions, you know, this is where the the art form uh, and the real idea of striptease really started to take off. And what what makes a great burlesque number or show? What what makes what what um what, when you see other productions or your own? What what is it that you're like? Yes, we we hit it. We got it. Oh man, it really varies. I can go to shows and you know find something I love in every single one, but I really do think the combination of you know strong performances. Uh, of course, I, I produce a lot of group numbers, you know, big theatrical group numbers, but, you know, it's costuming, it's connection with the audience. Um, I, you know, I think even a, a bar burlesque show is just that can be as fabulous as any huge theatrical production I've, I've ever seen. You know, it's just all about the energy that people are bringing to those shows. So, you know, it's really like bringing 
everything together the you know the cheeky campiness of burlesque the energy and just you know the love of having fun and I think that's you know where we have really succeeded as a company uh, in Key West and have been able to do 17 years privately funded you know we're not we're not a big theater here um, it was because we bring the fun people know that they're going to come to our shows and they're they're just going to have a great time with us they're going to we're going to connect with them you know on a performance level and definitely on a hosting level they're going to come in and they're going to just really enjoy their evening it's super fun your shows are super fun burlesque is super Thanks. fun the humor element is just I don't know. It's, it, it, it's, it's, there's no other outlet or, or genre media that uh, it's, it, it's singular. Burlesque has its own humor that, uh, that, that works. And um, now uh, again, for, for women, it's the week of women fest. The show right. uh, is in the listening room of the Key West theater, beautiful room, fun, fun room. And Super uh, fun. girly, burly. I love the title. <laughs> so we have done Women's Fest on and off for years. You know, we started doing smaller Women's Fest events at Alexander's Guest House probably in 2008. Uh, we've been great friends with Alexander's Guest House for years. We've done a number of shows over there. And that then that grew into doing uh, a couple small productions when Pearl's Rainbow was still open, which was like you know it's an amazing all female guest house so and then we started doing girly burly I want to say that was around like 2013 or 2014 as like our you know long-term like girly burly you know what you're getting when you come to to Key West for a woman's fest this is you know woman's fest woman centric uh, show that's going to celebrate all shapes, all sizes, all races, all, you know, all, all different, you know, binary elements of, of womanhood. And that's what we really try to do um, with the girly burly burlesque show. So yeah, it's gonna be fun. We have, um, I, I'm co-hosting with you. Uh, we have two of our favorite Key West burlesque dancers performing, uh, Scarlett J and Takis Tequila. And then Mona Moore is performing and we have an out-of-town guest performer, uh, Sheba Queen of the Night. She's a super fun performer from St. Pete. And then the drag king sensation who I love to death and he's done a lot of my shows, Kevin Dixon. So he'll be down performing for that show also. Cool. And of course you. <laughs> you again. With me. I'm excited. I'm not, I was like, I don't, I, I believe that you believe I can do it. How about oh that? yeah, you can tell I do it. It's okay. gonna be. I mean, we'll work. You know, obviously we'll work together. And uh, you know, we had this little Facebook discussion about rhinestoning your polo shirt and khakis, which will be great. It's been. Uh, Aaron McKenna suggested it a couple for the Bubba's Award a while last year, and I was kind of just. I didn't get. You know, I'm, I'm very disorganized. Sorry, everybody <laughs> at the studios. And um, I yep. think it would work. Rhinestones. Yeah, I think so too. I think you need a little bit of bling, you know, we, we'll throw a little something, something on there. It'll be fun. Because well, I'm, uh, I'm Scarlett, open. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, Scarlett's really great about like taking stuff and rhinestoning it really quickly. We okay. just throw stuff at her. 
tables and she'll just I'm, sit there rhinestoning because i am open to costuming because i trust you all i trust you you're professionals it's like my hairdresser i'm like I, my mechanic i go to them and right. i'm thinking i've been i mean what does steve crane wear love him what does he wear so, like steve's great i mean thank okay. goodness for steve like he's boyfriend. been a real <laughs> he's and now his girlfriend Vanessa has been doing our logos oh, for me which is amazing yeah so I mean I'm I feel super fortunate with those guys um but you know it really depends on the show with Steve I mean he has a sequins vest that he wears quite often I think that's like his go-to burlesque costume of course he was um Hagrid's younger brother in uh Harriet Potter so mm-hmm. he wore a Hagrid's wig and you know ro- we had a big giant velvet robe he actually was in the opening dance number of that show with us too he did a little like arm movement dance so he was fantastic so okay. you know he'll go yeah, we have a couple like more dressed up outfits um, that he'll do. We're still, I, there, there's a little more costuming that is going to happen with Steve, definitely. Because uh, he'll, he'll co-host or he'll help with um, definitely gods and goddesses this year. So he'll, he'll have to wear a toga. <laughs> oh, oh, he'll love that. He will love that. Because I'm open. I know you have plenty on your plate. But I'm I am open to ideas of uh I don't know people with but polo and khakis is fine but I'm willing to change up for y'all yeah I think we'll we'll turn it out for I sure sparkle. I, yeah you should sparkle it's girly should, burly burlesque sparkle more <laughs> remember when you, we did uh you you did the Academy Awards show yeah. party at the Tropic right before everything changed right and you 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 uh had me up there with you helping out and I wore like a thought it was gold vest and a bow tie I thought yeah, I that was great and Tom Flip was like you look like a magician and I was like well that's cool I get used to you <laughs> yeah you're like yeah maybe I do I was like well but I, then I saw the picture recently and I was like maybe because it's so hard to find gold they sent me that was yellow yeah and that's kind of what you get when you ask really? for gold unfortunately everything I saw was like I'm like that's mustard that's yellow I want yeah. gold and and Amazon said this is what you get for waiting for the last minute yeah I like the both well, what's your favorite what's your favorite color I don't, I don't I'm a blue I look good in blues okay because we could do like a blue sequins vest those are super nice and like a black pair of like tuxedo pants and a nice like rhinestone bow tie. I think I look good in a bow tie. I think I would yeah, look, look good. And um, no, I'm, I'm I'm open to it. For some reason, red doesn't work on me or pink. I just, it does not pop. Yeah, I can't really see you. Maybe a bright pink, but I think blue would be super fun. We can totally do that. It's going to be amazing. Come out and see Gwen in her sequins vest and rhinestone bow tie. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) And see see Krista Hunt in Key Key West Burlesque. It's at the Key West Theater September 8th is the girly burly. And then the whole season is coming up. The whole season. 
the whole season. It's going to be a great season. We also have, you know, I started a secondary company called House of DuJour, and I'm producing a few other shows this year. I have a magician uh, who, I, who I've been bringing down for a very long time, Nick Lacapo. He's one of, uh, he's considered America's busiest, hardest working magician in the business. Uh, he's hosted shows for me forever, and he'll be doing a solo show March 4th in the listening room at the QS Theater. I'm also bringing in longtime host of mine, Shelly Watson. Uh, she's a Juilliard trained, actually, she has her master's from Juilliard in music. She's an opera singer. She's hosted for me for a long time. She's going to be doing a fun event called Hip Hopra. So it's. Hip hop covers done operatically. Uh, so that's going to be super fun. We're still working out the date. And then I'm bringing in uh, Kitten and Lou, who I had here in April. Um, they're a husband and wife duo. They year, probably 10 years in a row have been um, voted the number one burlesque performers in the world. They have a, a duo show that they do um, that I'm going to bring in this year too. So super crazy fun year of burlesque and not burlesque and you know everything, all sorts everything. Of- you're bringing you are i mean qs is is so lucky to have you and all these creative people in burlesque and performance because it's just this is top-notch stuff i, I take it for granted that i'm yeah this is a tiny and, you know, town but you we're are super we're fortunate i think all over the place you know like we have great programming at the uh Tennessee Williams. I mean, they just bring in touch not notch shows. Of course, the Red Barn is amazing. The Fringe is so much fun. And Waterfront Playhouse, we used to have part of our season there. Um, they've just always, you know, we're so fortunate. Tiny town and such great theater. Yeah, and creative it's, people. It's like I've gotten to take for granted the be spoiled with the studios of Key West because I'll go right. to something and, and go, well, you know, maybe I'll go later. I'll, I'm, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll do something different and I'm like no this is big they have they have yeah. landed some some big stars and different different uh, uh performing performing arts but Krista Hunt Key West Burlesque thank you for all you bring all the joy you bring thank you and uh thanks again for being on the, on yeah. the podcast Is historian and curator Corey Convertito. Corey, how are you? I'm really well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I saw this on Facebook, the Key West Art and Historical Society, which you're, you're, uh, that's your, that's your people, um, doing this uh, event, Writers in Paradise. It's about Key West's literary community. Thursday, September fifteenth, five p.m. at uh, Comedy Key West. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with. Um, I just saw this and I thought, I, I read the little description. I thought, I want to talk to Corey. Let's, how did this uh, event come up? I mean, what, what inspired it? I, I've always just been fascinated. You know, part of my job here with art and historical is trying to find that blend of art and history. You know, we don't, um, we have a lot of uh, art galleries, but you know, we're history. So how, like, we're, what subjects kind of blend the both together? Cause that's really what we're here for. And 
one of the things I, I really enjoyed doing, um, one of the topics that came up was these writers because they're, they're, it's an art form, what they do. Uh, and we've had this long history of writers, you know, coming to Key West, uh, either, you know, for, for winter or they're or living here. And I thought, gosh, what a, what a cool thing to look at um, that really blends that art and history because we have so much longevity within that literary community. So it was kind of a no brainer in a way to, to say, this is a really cool topic and start peeling back. Cause I don't think pe people know that we have a history here, but I don't think they understand how far the tentacles actually spread. I, I take for granted, I forget, I forget how many Pulitzer Prize, Tony Award uh, winners, Nobels, uh, Poet Laureates, uh, people, Robert Frost, Tennessee Williams, but people that maybe don't jump to mind, like Wallace Stevens, who's amazing, and Elizabeth Bishop, whose home was purchased by the uh, QS Literary Seminar right there on White Street. So yeah. drive by it. Because I think everyone thinks, and then there's Shel Silverstein, um, yeah, there's so many, but but everyone thinks, oh, Hemingway, because we do have a shrine, for lack of a better <laughs> word, to Mr. Hemingway. Yeah, we do. Yeah, and, it, and it's neat because I, I think that it's a good springboard to use. I, I don't, I don't admonish the Hemingway uh, and the people that come here. You know, what I, what I hope by doing programs like this is making sure that people are aware that we're so much more than than Hemingway. Um, and he does win awards, and he and he writes, you know, these epic uh, novellas and and um, short stories. They're impactful. People like the danger. People like the drama of what Hemingway does. But once they get here, how do we explain that? You know that, that you do have the the Judy Blooms and you have the Elizabeth Bishops and you have you know the James Leo Hurleys of the world that found some <clears throat> like some solace here, the ability to write and be part of this creative circle. And I hope that they um, you know they visit the Hemingway house. But just so much more to, to learn and think about, um, you know, in terms of that circle that's, that's still ongoing. Yeah. And, 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 oh my gosh, I, I think the Hemingway home, the state is one of the coolest things. I tell everyone to go there. <laughs> I, I've, I've visited, they, I've gone more than once since I've lived here and it's, it's just cool. Come on. It's a really old house. And there's, yeah. oh, it's, it's absolutely. And he, and he, and he puts us on the literary map, whether right. people want um, to like it or not, yeah. that's what it is. <laughs> I mean, I've read most of, yeah. I mean, I read it in high school. I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, yeah, I have no, no, no problem with the Hemingway home or, or really his work, but there's just so many more, like you said, there's just oh, yeah. so many more. And um, what kind of uh, digging did you do? Um, you strike me as a person that's really well-versed in the arts, but what, what digging, were there some surprises that you had? I think there's a lot of surprises because um, you know, when, when we put together this program, what I wanted to do is find writers who stayed here, whether or not they lived here full time or not. And I try to make a nice cross section. Uh, it's impossible to, in a 45 minute talk, uh, to encompass everyone. It's impossible. So what I say is I try to take a little slice from different genres um, to kind of explain the, the depth of, of people that are attracted here. And, and during the talk, we're going to hit on the notables. I mean, it is going to be the Hemingway because if I don't, I'm going to get booed. Uh, I'll have Tennessee Williams because he was here for so long and, and, and being a gay man living here for so long and the gay writers that he helps attract to this town. I mean, I'd be doing a disservice without including him, but then we include other writers that you go, huh? 
oh, I hadn't really thought about that. And I want to do a nice cross section because there's just no way to do it um, any, any other way, unless, unless people are ready to sit in their chair for five hours <laughs> and listen to, to all the, the nuggets of information. So I think I was kind of surprised in, in finding the people that I wanted to use and represent as that cross section. There were a couple of people I was like, hey, that's kind of interesting. There's locals, um, people that have been here a long time, people that winter here. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of find it like it was a neat, it was a neat project because you're spanning different time periods, different genres, um, different lengths of time that they're here and, and the reasons for them to, to come. And how, how what era, what, what years does, is your presentation cover? Is it, does it start with Hemingway, the third? Yeah, well, I'll start with John Dos Passes and I don't do it in a chronological order either oh, because cool. I don't, um, I, I, I think that kind of lends itself to like the mixed bag of, of what we're approaching, uh, the weird and the wonderful. Uh, so I mentioned Hemingway first, just to get him out of the way because I think there's an, expect <laughs> an expectation in this, um, but I, I just want to focus on him and we move on. Um, yeah. all the others. And uh, we look at like Robert Frost, John Dos Passos, some of those earlier writers that are coming here, um, either before Hemingway or because of Hemingway. And we, and we bring it all the way up, you know, through the 60s, 70s, and, and even up to today with the writers that are here. And um, part of the talk not only focuses on the writers themselves, what is cool is we talk a little bit about literary seminar. Like what is our legacy? in this literary community? Is it just looking at the writers themselves and their publications? It's not. The Literary Seminar does an amazing job every year uh, getting writers to come and speak uh, on their new books, particular subject matters. And as you mentioned, buying the Elizabeth Bishop House is just that another layer of trying to preserve that literary community. So part of the, part of the talk focuses on um, some of those, like the poet, the poetry guild that that you know operates in Key West and is yeah. got a nice, healthy following. We we have that we have that legacy, and I'd like to make sure people understand that this is not a there's not a period at the end of that sentence yet. Correct, because um, I I finally got to go to the literary seminar. Um, I mean, I go before, but I actually was like, I want to go. And uh, last year, and it was like Disha Filia is there, Amy Amy Tan, like. Uh, I just I just couldn't believe how many and I'm like wow I really take it for granted that I live here and this is a place not only has a literary seminar but yeah. inspires so many artists because I'm then I you know because sometimes I'm like well it is warm weather but it's more than <laughs> right I mean there's warm weather well the warm weather is an attractive quality to get them here in January but right, he, it really is a robust schedule of speakers that they every single year are able to attract and um, I wanted to ask, I don't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> I hear so many, it's, it's Hemingway, I'm going back to Hemingway and Williams. I hear so many different stories of what they wrote here. And, and then people go, no, that's not, I mean, I don't even know if it really matters, but <laughs> did Hemingway actually write a lot here? Because I always see him as fishing, boxing, sloppy joe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, so he did. Um, you know, he, he's writing when he comes here, I mean, he's already kind of well-known before he moves here. Um, and he's, and he's stuck uh, in, in Key West for a little while. And he, and he works on farewell to arms. He doesn't, he really doesn't start and complete anything full-time while he's here. 
probably with the exception of to have and have not, which is his only Florida based book. Mm. Um, you know, but he'll write, he's writing a lot of short stories here. So none of the big novels like Green Hills of Africa, he writes after he returns from uh, one of his African safaris. He's writing. He's definitely writing while he's here. And with Tennessee Williams, he spent a lot, was, was he was here a lot, right? He was here a lot. He had lot come down um, uh, as, as a tourist, really, for, for a winter. He had made a little bit of money, not, not a ton, but he was starting to become more and more noticed and, and wanted a place um, to winter. And, you know, this, this kind of ticks and boxes. He knew a lady who had a guest house down here. Uh, that's kind of what drew him here to begin with, but he's much more prolific um, in, in his writing. And, and as I say, he's kind of well-known, but he's gay and it's hard. He's in these big New York social circles because he just had the glass menagerie come out in New York. Um, and, and, he, and he wants some quiet time and wants to work on the next, the next thing. But he's here, uh, he starts visiting, um, you know, the end of, I think he buys his house in 51, but he had been here before. Uh, and he owns that house till he dies in 1983. Wow. It's, it's, and it's, it's decades he's here. That's amazing. Because when I, yeah. you know, I got here and people go, oh, he used to swim in South Beach. I don't know if that's true. He'd swim oh, there. Every day. And every he day. He was. And he loved the people. And was he, I mean, these guys were famous. In a, now, today, everybody's famous. Everyone on TikTok is famous. <laughs> famous at a time, yeah. I'm going to say, you know, especially Hemingway and Williams at a time where there just weren't tons of famous writers at, at that level. Were they able to kind of, I mean, did they like being here because they're famous or could they just maybe be themselves? I mean, what was QS like in these yeah, uh, 40s? It's small, right? It's small. And it's, that's a good question because I think that they're here for all sorts of reasons. And there's not like a good you know, standard answer for that. Some people are here because, I mean, Tennessee Williams in particular does not enjoy that New York social scene. He has, he eventually has a partner uh, and that's not, you know, generally accepted anywhere else. Um, we don't have news and media outlets down here like they do in, in like Chicago, New York and Boston and places where his plays are happening. And he is able to come down here and you know, he's just away, he's like out of the spotlight for a while. And he can be here with his partner um, who he just said was his aide, um, and kind of chill and get work done. And he, he really loved to swim, he loved to swim every day if he could. And that, um, it makes me so happy to think of him enjoying something as yeah. simple as the ocean. Yeah. And where else is he going to be able to do that full time? In the winter, you can't, New York, you can't do that. He couldn't do that in New Orleans, certainly. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, there's some, and, and these writers, they tend to, if you look at the Hemingways and Tennessee Williams, it's because they're, they're the, the major players, I think, um, they have their routines um, and they're able to do what they like here. You know, Hemingway wants to go out fishing and drinking at night, he writes in the morning. Same thing with Tennessee Williams, he's writing voraciously in the morning uh, and, and is able to go out for a swim uh, before he starts working. Uh, and then whatever recreational things he gets in later on. Uh, but he's got his writing done and he got to swim in. And that, that's enormously important, that structure, I think, for them. 
and and I did I did want to mention Elizabeth Bishop because I knew very little. I mean, I knew the name and oh, she's a poet. And then when I did a story about um, talking to Arlo Haskell in the Key West Literary Seminar, they they bought her home to preserve it. That's mm-hmm. remarkable mm-hmm. in any town, but that is. And I went and walked around, and I was just like, oh my gosh, this is this is the real deal. And I don't know much. I I I, I don't know much about her personally, but she did work. She was writing. Right. Oh, she was definitely writing here. She was writing and painting. She took up watercolors while she was here already. And she's here. Uh, there's a lot of overlap um, with, with all these writers, especially later on. But I think the thing people don't realize about Bishop is she comes down in the late 30s. Uh, you know, she's 25 years old when she gets here, which is kind of nuts. Uh, Hemingway is still here, although he's you know starting to put a foot out of the door by then. You know, and, and she's able to be here at a young age. Uh, you know, she's a lesbian. Um, she's, she's traveling with friends. Um, and, and again, I think that there's some level of autonomy here. You're able to write. You're able to enjoy yourself. Uh, and and she she makes in the militaries. Um, you know, as she stays here longer, there's a lot of military wives here. She gets friendly with a couple of the military wives. So it, you know, for her, it's a good situation to be here and again she writes voraciously while she's here I know a full book of um you know the complete poems or uh, I think she writes um you know uh, what I think north and south of cold spring she finishes while she's here she's incredible she's really an incredible woman and she's painting I, I forget about the pa- I didn't remember the painting and also just the work yeah put out a lot of work I mean yeah she puts out a a copious amount of work and it's great and again these are i'm not a scholar but you know you got the queer element she's lesbian and um tennessee Williams is gay you know her hemingway has his own demons of, of mental health and yeah. is that, i mean do we and i'm relating to some of these do does key west sort of offer respite or I don't know, just what's your opinion when you feel about the, it's not, I mean, they're, you know, not every writer is a plagued with problems, but a lot of us are. I yeah. mean, this is a place to get away from, I forget I live in America sometimes. Sorry, America. Uh, yeah, that's, that's okay. I, I agree. And I think there, there's something, I, you know, going back to the thirties, there's always been this like bohemian um, take on Key West, whether it's, it's real or fabricated through, stories of people that lived here you know that's that's for somebody else to debate but we seem to attract a lot of um, people with with whatever they're they're dealing with something on some level either it's being gay either um, you know they're struggling with addiction they're struggling um you know they, or they just struggle because they don't want to be in large crowds of people big city living is not you know they're they're very shy and reserved and they don't want to be part of you know a, a big landscape um it, it's interesting because you have like the hunter s thompson's are sort of like perfect for that uh you know because he's here and he's he's kind of nuts uh, but in a cool in a cool way good. yeah of course he's in a cool way no no uh, he was in key west hmm? hunter s thompson oh yeah hunter s thompson was here he was a sometimes resident and he, he was a big visitor to the island and again it's, it's kind yeah, of like, okay. that's where I like to get that cross section because you look at the long term people like the Hemingways and the and and the Tennessee Williams and Elizabeth Bishops and then you have these guys and ladies who just drop in and out you know mm-hmm. cruising around figuring out what to do next and 
where to land and they may end up landing here for a short time. Uh, so, you know, he's, he's here and he's up in Sugarloaf uh, more than anything, Hunter S. Okay. Thompson, but still he's, it's 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 cool that he's here. I did. I don't know what. And I, I think of Thomas McGuane and and uh, other. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna. Some well, and he's and he's another one. You know, Tom Tom McGuane is is a cool cat uh, who's down here in the '70s, and there's a lot of other writers in town, and he's rubbing elbows with you know um, like Tennessee Williams, and then he writes '92 in the Shade, which is a cool book, right. and he's basing it on his life. You know, or, or he's taking inspiration from here. So he's kind of a, he for sure um, is a person we talk about because I love that they're taking inspiration from their surroundings and, uh, you know, including that in their writings. And then they make the movie and they film the movie here, which is like super cool um, that it takes it to that next, next level of, I, of writing and producing because not you get that visual from him with his eye because he's working hand in hand with the, the film producers uh, while they're here so you, you get to see his vision come to life and it's here and you recognize all the places <laughs> you love it. i i got to read that on like higgs beach which to me is the <laughs> working class beach of qs and i was reading it i didn't know what it was and i'm like are they on caroline street and it was just <laughs> wonderful and um there's a couple of people on space but he ran with that crowd of kind of like young yeah. tough guys that were writing and uh, oh yeah and such but i um i did not know about hunters thompson but sugarloaf i can see him as a sugarloaf guy yeah yeah little rural, to... little rural. oh and, yeah um, he used to run something up there because you know he's a gonzo journalist and he ran a he ran a outfit up there and he had his own little business card and i think it said gonzo tours on it that he said <laughs> he would look take people snorkeling and thing. I mean, it's just nuts. Yeah, he was, <laughs> but in like the coolest possible way. Like huge. I've read everything he wrote. He was out of his mind. And I say oh, that as totally. a compliment. And relating. Yeah. It's, um, it's a, he's a cool dude. And he's, yeah, he's related to here as well, but not as long as some of the others, but that's kind of nice. That's why we do the cross section. Well, Corey Convertito, historian curator at Key West Art and Historical Society. You all do so, that nonprofit does so many events. Do you know this? They're everywhere. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Bicentennial, I mean, you were instrumental in the Bicentennial celebration earlier, which is still going on. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it was a lot of work, but a lot of fun. It's anytime we can kind of celebrate and teach people a little something and have greater appreciation. I'm, I, I, I hear people a lot on this island oh, you know everything's changing everything's changing it, unless you have a reference point to know how it's changed you know people are just talking so we at least want to give them that reference point <laughs> well I like to remind some of the, the, the people who say that all the time is like well Fort Lauderdale has too and you yeah, know everywhere has everywhere is a little season but Corey you you and the whole outfit over there at the historical society you really make the history come alive QS history and the keys I appreciate that because yeah thank you thank you we love what we do and we've got a good team together to to make that happen and the more people we can engage you know the better job we do because we can better represent the community we're we're thrilled well riders in paradise I will put the info on that in the notes of the podcast Corey thanks for taking the time and uh, I'll probably see it Publix or driving around yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, Comedy Key West sometimes since we're both uh, headlining there, but you you more often. Yeah, we'll, we're both sharing <laughs> the stage, but um, thanks again for all you do for the community and uh, take absolutely. care.
Thanks for listening to We're Not Finished, a podcast presented by the studios of Key West. The studios is a leading art institution in South Florida. It's located downtown at 533 Eaton Street. For a list of events and more programming like this, go to tskw.org.